Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Friends, welcome. This is Praying for America, and I'm pro-life leader Frank Pavone. I head up Priests for Life, one of the largest pro-life groups in the world, and we are delighted, we are blessed to have you with us. Patriots from across the nation, Christians, believers, disciples, people who love America, people who want to save America, this is the place to be because we look at what's going on in the light of the Word of God. The criminalizing of elections is what we're looking at now, friends. The criminalizing of election disputes, we should say. We're going to give a little history lesson tonight. In fact, you can find this information if you, if you Google uh, the most contested presidential elections in American history. You'll see a lot of the information I want to lay out for you tonight, but it's going to be easier to just sit back and watch. You want to, might want to take some notes because looking at the history, you know the old saying, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, well, it's even worse than that. Uh, not only do we uh, repeat it, we repeat the mistakes of history. But we tend to intensify those mistakes to our own harm, and that's certainly what's happening now with these latest indictments of President Trump have to do with criminalizing disagreements about elections. So I'm going to give you an historical perspective to help you make sense of this and talk with your uh, friends and neighbors about it. So let's start, as we always do, with the Word of God. I want to go to the fourth chapter of Luke here tonight and read starting with verse, uh, well, I'm sorry, the third chapter of Luke, starting with verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Let us pray. Father, you govern the universe with a providence that our founding fathers acknowledged, believed in, and entrusted themselves to. We thank you for this providence that governs creation. We thank you, Lord, that even the crooked ways defined by human frailty and sin can be made straight by you, that we, trusting in your mercy, can fill up the low places and bring down the high places and walk in humility and service to one another and to your kingdom in a land of freedom and justice. That is our goal, Lord God. That is our gift that we have received from you and that we commit ourselves to guard, to safeguard for ourselves and our posterity. Thank you, Lord, for freedom. 
for justice, for the right to govern ourselves, and for the safeguards that we've inherited from our founding fathers. Lord, we pray against the criminalization of our elections that disputes, the idea that disputes in our elections would be handled by grand juries, prosecutors, and agencies of government. No, Lord God, we, we oppose this. We stand with the Constitution, and we stand with the constitutional remedies for any disputes that arise. We know disputes will arise. We know that that is part of the human journey. But, Lord God, we ask to be kept safe from the criminalization of these disputes. Bless us as we move forward in our journey in America, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so, you know as well as I, these recent indictments of President Trump are about taking disagreements about what happened in the recent elections and turning them into matters of criminal prosecution. This should not be. There is no reason for grand juries to get involved in resolving political disputes. There's no reason for special prosecutors to get involved in judging the thoughts and motives of the heart of somebody who says an election didn't turn out the right way or wasn't fair. It's not the first time. The elections of 2020 are not the first time that we have had in America highly disputed presidential races. I'm going to give you a few examples going back a couple of centuries, all right? And I'm going to lay those examples out here on the board. I put this title here, President Trump and the Criminalization of Elections, because he's being criminally targeted as someone who, just because he and tens of millions of other citizens with him, as a matter of fact, express their views that, hey, something went wrong. We don't accept certain results from this presidential election that we just went through. Um, no, it's not supposed to be criminalized because we have a constitutional process for working this out. The states, first of all, have the role of, 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 of managing elections in their particular state, managing the elections, including for president of the United States. And then the Congress. The United States Congress, established in Article I of the Constitution, is the body in which any disputes about the electoral votes for the presidency of the United States, any disputes, are resolved. And this is the way it's been handled. I'm going to give you some examples of contested presidential elections, none of which had to resort to criminalization, grand juries, indictments, convictions, or prison time, simply because there were deep divisions and deeply felt uh, disagreements about how that election turned out. Let's take a look at a few of these. The election of 1800. Let's go all the way back to that. 1800, you had Thomas Jefferson, familiar name, and you had Aaron Burr. So the electoral votes are counted. They ended up tied. 73 to 73. So what happened? 
It's only happened twice in our history. The election reverted to the House of Representatives. Now, why did that happen? Because that's what's provided for in the Constitution. So the election uh, went to the U.S. House, and what ended up happening was that Alexander Hamilton, who, as you may recall, was an archenemy of Jefferson, nevertheless managed to sway support. There were quite a few votes, uh, had to t quite a few rounds that this went through, but he managed to sway support to Jefferson to win the election. And uh, this, of course, was not without um, deep uh, disagreement because why did it end up 73-73 in the first place? Some people were saying, oh, well, this is because there was a miscommunication among the electors. Others, however, said that this was because of a conspiracy led by Aaron Burr. So, very strong disagreements, deeply felt disagreements, alarming disagreements, but none of it resulted in criminalization. All right, so that was the election of 1800. Fast forward a few election cycles to 1824. Let's look at what happened that year. Again, controversy, deeply felt and divisive controversy over presidential elections is nothing new. 1824, we have another situation. This was actually the second election of the president also to end up being resolved in the House of Representatives. So you ended up having four different candidates, none of whom, none of whom got enough electoral votes to uh, win the presidency. So who did we have? We had Andrew Jackson, and I'll put the names here. We had, <clears throat> now he was the one who won the popular vote, and he also got the most electoral votes, okay? Didn't win the popular vote by much, but he won the popular vote, and he got the most electoral votes. Then you had John Quincy Adams. Now, those of you who know by memory the list of the presidents of the United States will recognize in advance who the winner of this election was. Then you had William Crawford, and then you had the guy who was the House, uh, the Speaker of the House, Henry Clay. All right, now, when the election went to the House of Representatives, because, because of the, the procedural uh, uh, norms, they could only vote among the top three candidates. So Henry Clay was put, at that point, out of the race. So the House voted, and um, Clay, who was the Speaker of the House, he ended up getting his supporters to get behind, and this was after a month of negotiations, he and his supporters got behind Adams, John Quincy Adams. What ended up happening? Adams won the election. He became the president, even though, even though, and you could see how this would cause a controversy, even though Andrew Jackson had won the popular vote and most of the electoral votes, 
when it got to, to be resolved in the House of Representatives, again, a constitutional provision, Henry Clay put support behind John Quincy Adams, and he got over the finish line. Ah, but then the controversy continued, because Adams, then in choosing his, his cabinet, guess who he chooses as his Secretary of State? Henry Clay. Which, to some people, is going to look what? It's going to look like a corrupt bargain. It's going to look fishy. And you know who called it a corrupt bargain? Who do you think would be most likely to call it a corrupt bargain and object? Well, wait a second. I was in the lead. You were second. This guy threw his support to you, and you made him Secretary of State. It was Andrew Jackson who said, hold on a second, this smells of corruption. So what Jackson ended up doing was leaving his Senate seat, running four years later in 1828, and making sure that John Quincy Adams ended up being only a one-term president. He ran against him and won in 1828. But again, in the midst of all of this being worked out in obviously a very contentious way, there was no talk of criminality. There was no talk of, of grand juries. There was no talk of, hey, uh, uh, this person should be punished, this person should be indicted, this person should be thrown in jail, this person is trying to overthrow elections, this person is trying to overthrow democracy. None of that. Because they, these men knew the Constitution. And they followed the Constitution. They took refuge in the Constitution. The Constitution allows us to have very, very deeply felt disagreements in America. But it provides the way of working them out. All right, let's look at another election. Fast forward a little bit further, the election of 1860. Now, there, this was a dispute that actually tore the nation apart. This was the, the year that Abraham Lincoln ran on the Republican ticket. He ended up getting about 40% of the popular vote. And he ended up getting the electoral votes in the North along with, um, nor, uh, along with California and Oregon. So Abraham Lincoln comes in in that way. Most of the South was um, carried by a man by the name of Breckinridge, John Breckinridge whom the southern part of the Democrat Party had nominated. They chose a different candidate from the rest of the Democrat Party who chose Abraham Lincoln's opponent, Stephen Douglas. Remember the Lincoln-Douglas debates? All right, so Stephen Douglas was the Democrat candidate, or I should say one of the Democrat candidates, and there was this John Breckinridge. Douglas only ended up winning one state, even though he came in second in the popular vote. He only ended up winning one state as far as the electoral vote. And then Breckinridge carried, as I said, most of the South. 
along with a couple of other states. Okay. So what ended up happening? What ended up happening was Lincoln won the election and then the, and the country broke apart. Weeks after, just a matter of weeks after Abraham Lincoln won the election, you had states, starting with South Carolina and six other states, seceded from the Union. And they created the Confederate States of America. You remember this American history? And they elected their own president, Jefferson Davis. Wow. Makes what happens today look a little bit less intense, doesn't it? It's all intense, but look what happened. Tore the country apart. And yet, not even in the midst of all this, did you have the likes of Jack Smith roll along, corrupt person that he is, he should go live in some other country, come along and start indicting people because they opposed the outcome of the election. Start indicting people because they had a different opinion about how or why things turned out the way they did. Start indicting people and accusing them of overturning an election, overthrowing a government. Okay, that was the election of 1860. One more, one more thing here to bring um, to your attention. 16 years later, let's look at the election of 1876. You had an, a man by the name of Tilden that was the Democrat candidate, Samuel Tilden. And on the Republican side, Rutherford B. Hayes. Now, how was this a contentious and divisive election? Tilden, Tilden, the Democrat, won the popular vote. And got more electoral votes than a Hayes. He got more votes in the Electoral College. And he was only one vote short of what at that time was the minimum number of electoral votes that you needed to win the presidency. It was only one vote away. But there were 20 electoral votes from, let's see, Florida, uh, Louisiana, and uh, one other state, South Carolina, that were too close to call. So you had 20 votes too close to call, this guy tilled in one vote short of winning, and then Rutherford B. Hayes. And then this guy, again, he also won the popular vote. Okay. What happened next? The accusations started to fly. Each party accused the other of fraud. Now we got fraud in the election. Those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it and to make it worse. You think 2020 was the first time people came along at high levels 
of American politics and said there was fraud in an election? Did they get arrested? Did they get indicted for saying that? Did people convene grand juries and appoint special counsels? No. It was worked out by Congress. That's where the Constitution of the United States puts... The, 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 our founders were smart enough to realize, and they were involved in some of it themselves, that there would be election disputes. Friends, this is nothing new, and it should be nothing to be ashamed of. And it certain, certainly shouldn't be anything to be punished for either in speech or in action, both parties were accusing the others of fraud. And then in the midst of all this, in the midst of all this, one of the electors from the state of Oregon was declared illegal and replaced. So drama was high in the election of 1876. There were even threats of another civil war. What ended up happening? Congress, again, Congress works out disputes in the electoral tally. Again, provision of the Constitution. God bless the Constitution. God bless those who know the Constitution. Congress ended up appointing a committee, a 15-member committee of diverse uh, members. And that commission hammered out this election. What ended up happening was Hayes was declared the winner. These 20 electoral votes from Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina ended up going to him. This commission did its work, worked this thing out. Well, well the Democrats weren't going to take this lying down, so what they ended up doing was they threatened to block Listen to this carefully. They threatened to block the official tally of the electoral votes by filibuster. Jack Smith wasn't around. No grand jury was convened. But this was deeply contested. A deal was finally reached whereby the Democrats would accept Rutherford B. Hayes as president under this condition that Hayes would remove the troops, the national um, uh, troops, federal troops, from the South. And what that ended up doing was the consolidated Democratic power over that region. It, it ended Reconstruction, and it set back the rights of African Americans that had been gained up to that point. So it had some really negative impact, but it was the deal that they ended up making. All of this, in all of this, there was no criminalization of elections. And that's the point I want to come back to here, because this is what we've got to keep in our minds, on our lips, in our writings, in our opinion pieces, in our social media posts. There was no DOJ. There were no special counsels, U.S. attorneys, or... Uh, inferior agencies of the federal government putting their hands on these elections and telling American citizens you don't have a right 
to overthrow an election. People weren't thinking of it in terms of overthrowing an election. Over, you hear this the nonsensical thing said about President Trump and his followers. Oh, he was trying to overturn the results. And, and they take this just as a given. He was trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election. How stupid can you be? Historically ignorant. How historically ignorant can you be? Really, the ignorance knows no depth, brothers and sisters. It knows no limits. I wanted to give you these examples. Now, of course, we all know, many of us lived through, although some of you in the audience may be too young to even remember, the election of 2000 when it all boiled down to Florida and the Florida Supreme Court got involved and ultimately there were recounts and, oh, you know, Bush and Gore and Bush was just a little bit ahead, but Gore was gaining in votes and more and more recounts and then you had the chads and the hanging chads and the pregnant chads and you had these news stories, you saw the, the, the inspectors looking at the chads with their eyes sideways and, oh, well, which, how should we count this vote? And the Supreme Court of the United States ultimately had to step, step in because the constitutional deadlines for, for finalizing the election were were looming closer and closer, and they finally said, stop all the recounts. Let Florida certify the election, let that certification stand. Because ultimately, yeah, you know, you want every vote to count, but it's got to be every legal vote. And I mean, you got to draw the line somehow, somewhere. Otherwise, elections never get resolved at all. Again, even in 2000. It was not, and, and then the Democrats objected to the outcome in, 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 in 2000, in 2004, and in 2016, but they objected through the processes involved for what, for what uh, entity of government to, to resolve electoral vote disputes? Which entity? The Congress. The Congress. Let's take heart from this history. Let's take clarity of mind, and let's challenge, let's push back on the people who are going to carry forward this nonsensical indictment of, of President Trump and nonsensical things that will follow, who knows, what kind of trial, witnesses, conviction, stupid news stories from the stupid fake news media saying, oh, these people are trying to overturn the election of 2020. It's no such thing. President Trump sincerely believed and sincerely believes that there were serious problems of fraud with the 2020 election, and so did tens of millions of Americans. We have a right to believe that. We have a right to say that. We have a right to argue that. We have a right to show others the evidence to persuade them of that. And nobody should, you can disagree all you want and argue the other way all you want. But please, in the name of America and in the name of the Constitution, don't try to criminalize it. You just make fools of yourselves, those of you on the left, Democrat establishment, Marxists of our times. You just make fools of yourselves more than we already know you are. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the lessons of history. History in the scriptures, history in the United States of America. We thank you for the lessons of history. And we ask you, Lord, to protect our nation from the weaponization of government. Protect our nation from a corrupt Department of Justice. From corrupt special counsels and all these other people who try to, try to make a crime out of free thought and free speech.
keep our nation on the right track, bring President Trump back to the White House, set our nation on a path where we are free of these Marxist Democrats once and for all. And we pray now for all the intentions of our viewers, for the intentions of our leaders, for the intentions of President Trump. We pray for the 2024 elections, and we pray in the words that Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hey, thanks, friends. Fr Frank Pavone on social media. That's my address. Follow me on all the major platforms at Fr Frank Pavone. Thanks for spreading the word about this program. We'll see you again soon. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.